This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. It's a pleasure to welcome Barbara Blaisdell from the Rochester area. How are you doing, Barb? Very well. Good to have you with us. And Barb Blaisdell has had a very interesting vocation or something like that. For the past 24 years, she has portrayed Susan B. Anthony. We've only heard you talk a little bit, but but do you do a different voice when you do Susan B. Anthony, or do you do you? Well, I I pay particular attention to trying not to use any modern phrases. Um, you know, I just don't think Miss Anthony would say "Oh boy" or something like that. <laughs> I see. Uh, and uh, I I do try to sound um, a little firmer and a little. Um, perhaps uh, um, straight-laced. <laughs> okay. So so no valley talk or rap lingo for Miss Anthony? No, none, yeah. for, none for Miss Anthony. <laughs> no. Now, how did this uh, come to be? You are out, I said, in the Rochester area. I was fudging that. I'm not sure you actually live in Rochester, but uh, Rochester and Susan B. Anthony go together. Yes. Uh I do live in Rochester, uh, have since 1973, and um, the uh, lucky happenstance that led me to this avocation that I that I feel very privileged to do uh, was that <clears throat> uh, during my career as a middle school counselor with sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and lived to tell the tale, <laughs> uh, I uh, at one point was in a city school. Uh, where the principal asked that everyone on faculty appear in, as someone in African-American history on a particular day in February for Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And I was puzzling over how I could do that, and then I remembered Miss Anthony. And like most folks, I hadn't really been involved very much uh, with her at that point. Uh, but uh, I went off to the library because we didn't really have computers for the counselors yet, and I booked up all kinds of information, borrowed a costume from a friend of mine who ran a store with costumes, and spent the day speaking to the kids from classroom to classroom as Miss Anthony. And then just at the end of an exhausting day, we got a call from the head of mental health who said, it was our turn to picket central office because they were threatening cuts. And uh, I didn't have time to go change. And Miss <laughs> Anthony was involved in many things, labor being one of them. I so I picketed as Miss Anthony. And on my way home uh, down Main Street, um, I realized I was crossing uh, Madison Street, where her home is located now, a museum. And so I turned in and banged on the door, even though it was late in the evening by then. And the the wonderful woman who was in charge at that point opened the door, and I said, "Hi, I'm home," <laughs> and <laughs> which I think was one of my better lines. Yeah. And uh, so she uh, was a is a very charismatic person, and she dragged me in and asked me what I was doing and got me involved, and things just evolved uh, from there. I was on the board, and uh, I started portraying Miss Anthony just for board events, and then the word got out, and it occurred to me 
that this was a way I could make some money for the house uh, because in those days we were even more poor than we are now. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how it all began, and I feel very lucky and privileged to do that. And uh, the, who is what's the name of this the, the woman? It sounds like she's still with it, still doing that. Is she running, running the place? Uh, her name was Lori Lachusa Barnum, and she is now working elsewhere in Rochester. Uh, but she was integrally involved in the Anthony House even as a kid, because her auntie was one of the uh, older ladies who, as volunteers, uh, preserved the house in the old days before um, it became what it is today. Mm -hmm. So she sort of grew up at her knee and, you know, uh, was determined to keep the house uh, as a a museum and keep it going. Now, where have you performed as as Miss Anthony, or what are some of your credits, if you will? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, of course, many, 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 many times, uh, in and around the larger Rochester area, uh, but also Washington, D.C., um, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Philadelphia, um, Independence Mall there, um, just every place you can think of up and down the East Coast that I'm working on yeah. getting across the country. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of reaction do you get? Because I was trying to think of other historical figures you could uh, portray, uh, say somebody like Abraham Lincoln. I mean, there's a general popular conception of what he looked like, you know, the the hat and the and the beard and so forth. So people, I, I would figure more people would say, oh, that's Abe Lincoln. A lot of people would see you and they say, who's who's that? Or does that is that what happens a fair, a fair amount or no? Well, at this point, no. Um, but in the in today's parlance, uh, branding <laughs> has helped because I uh, wrote a grant and had her uh, dress the one the dress that's uh, uh, on display in the museum uh, recreated for my outfit, and uh, she wore a red shawl, and I chose to make mine bright red, and. Uh, in the beginning, it was it was a lot of fun because uh, I remember a particular time marching in a local parade here, and the little kids sitting on the curb said, "Look, Mom, it's Mother Goose," <laughs> <laughs> and they were right. I do sort of look like that, but um, but now I find that people wave and they say, "Hey, Susan B." and all that because. <laughs> You know, I've been relentlessly doing this in the same costume for all these years, and uh, so people, you know, have more of a sense of it. Well, let's uh, talk some about the historical character, the uh, the important historical figure. Uh, Susan B. Anthony, her middle name was Brownell. I don't know exactly what to make of that, but I know Yes, that was a family name. Family Mm -hmm. name. And she was born in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. I didn't uh, know that. 1820? Yes, in 1820, on April, on uh, February 15th, in and the, uh, right in the dead cold of, of upstate New York. Well, I mean, and, but you, uh, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I believe she was she was born in Adams, Massachusetts, though. As opposed that's to right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of where we are now. Sure. Uh, but she was born in Adams, and uh, they the family 
moved over the border into New York when she was about six years old. And uh, not long after that, when she was about 14, she began teaching school, if you can imagine hmm. that. And her... Um, so, you know, because uh, that was one of the, the options open to women at that time. Sure. And her family, uh, they were uh, Quaker, although it wasn't as simple as that, I gather, and also very active uh, politically. I mean, they, it was the kind of family that uh, where causes were important. Yes, uh, they uh, were a Quaker family. Uh, uh, neither parent started out as Quakers, but they joined with the Quakers early on in their lives because uh, they were um, very rabid um, abolitionists, anti-slavery and temperance folks. And uh, that's where Anthony developed a lot of her sense of justice and you know, moral zeal from coming from a Quaker family with long activist traditions. Mm. Uh, and uh, there are many stories um, involved with that where she, uh, you know, developed her sense of how different the outside world mm. was from the Quaker world because Quakers really uh, encouraged and expected boys and girls to speak up at home and be involved in things. Mm -hmm. And so it was quite a shock to her when she went out and discovered that women were uh, invisible, more or less, in the outside world. Mm. And uh, my uh, life is based in the Mohawk Valley and, uh, and right, right about that area. So the one... Well, well, the two things that I knew before I talking to you about Susan B. Anthony, number one was uh, in 1846, I believe, at age 26, she started teaching at Kanajahari Academy, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. That and, is correct. And she, and she did teach there for just a few years. And, <clears throat> excuse me, she was head of the girls' department there at the Kanajahari Academy. And uh, that was actually her first paid position. Uh, and for that, she was paid the uh, wonderful sum of $110 per year. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, that was another one of her ex formative experiences in that she was not paid anywhere near the same amount as the male mm -hmm. teachers. And then the other kind of local connection, but it's an important part of, of Miss Anthony's story, is that I believe in 1851 she was introduced by, of all people, Amelia Bloomer to Elizabeth yes. Cady Stanton, who originally yes. came from Johnstown. Yes. Uh, Miss Anthony was on her way home from yet another anti-slavery convention, uh, I believe in Syracuse, and she came uh, through... Uh, Seneca Falls, which of course is a wonderful little town uh, in today's world. It's about 40 minutes from Rochester, but of course it was much longer in those days. Um, but in any case, she stopped in there to see her friend Amelia Bloomer, and they were strolling down the street there, uh, and when along came Mrs. Stanton. And so there is currently a statue, uh, a sculpture, representing uh, Anthony and Stanton reaching out to shake each other's hands with Bloomer in the center 
introducing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think that there must have been a uh, thunderclap when they <laughs> yeah. when they shook hands because they became fast friends and uh co-conspirators you might say co co-workers for oh gosh over oh, 50 or 60 yeah. years together and, and also um, i somehow picked up or somewhere picked up the anecdote that mrs stanton once married and had a bunch of children um miss anthony was not but that she used to sometimes watch the children when uh, stanton went out to speak well actually uh it was a little bit uh, that that's somewhat uh, on the right track, but what it was was uh, in the beginning, uh, Anthony was not uh, used to public speaking, or uh, nor was she an expert writer, whereas Mrs. Stanton <clears throat> really had uh, a, a flair for writing, and. So sometimes uh, Anthony would write to her and say, oh, I have to do this major speech in such and such a town. Uh, I need your help. And Mrs. Stanton would say, uh, if you will come and stir the puddings and watch the children, I'll help write the speech. And that's, you know, that's how they started out. And then over the years, Mrs. Uh, uh, Miss Anthony uh, became more comfortable speaking mm-hmm. and dynamic and also was able to do some of her own writing. They founded a newspaper together? <laughs> yes, they founded a newspaper called The Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> and the masthead said, uh, men, uh, let's see, how did it go? Uh, women, their rights and nothing less. Men, their rights and nothing more. And they have that backwards. And, and but, this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the concept there was by the time they were doing that, uh, which was, I think, 1866, 1868 in that area, Well, one of the things they got angry about is uh, they were against slavery, and when the, the uh, Congress uh, or the, the 13th Amendment outlawing slavery uh, came along, they had thought that the new and progressive at the time, anyway, Republican Party was going to uh, throw them a bone or something, put in there something about women, but they did not. Yes, uh, because they had been so supportive of uh, that party's um, work towards anti-slavery, you know, which was the 13th Amendment. And so they, they got the impression from them uh, that, you know, when the time came, they would be included. And uh, they were not, and uh, that was for the 15th Amendment. Um, And so, you know, it was a very disillusioning time, but one of the things about uh, Anthony and Stanton is that they just refused to give up. I mean, they ended up, Anthony spent, I don't know, the whole, she started her work uh, on women's rights, in in the uh, when she was in her twenties, and uh, never stopped till the day she died at eighty six. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, perseverance and um, believing that if something is really right, 
it will eventually happen. And that's where her famous phrase, failure is impossible, came from. Mm. Uh, she made that comment to the crowd at her last speech uh, outside of Washington at yet another suffrage convention. Mm. But uh, as you say, uh, uh, neither of them, neither uh, Anthony nor Stanton, lived to see uh, women's suffrage. That's right. Um, almost no one in the early uh, group of women who started the the whole movement and expanded it across the states and indeed over to Europe. Anthony uh, went over there and proselytized also. But uh, almost nobody in, from the early days lived to see it. <clears throat> but of course, there were younger women in the movement like Carrie Chapman Cat, etc., who took over once Anthony uh, passed on. And then, of course, there was the whole second wave of feminism with Alice Paul, etc., that finally sort of, you know, got the ball in the hoop mm -hmm. uh, eventually, even by 1920. But well, no, no, almost no one lived to see that. And uh, Anthony died in 1906. Originally, yes. and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm off base on this as well. Originally, uh, she was not an advocate of the method by which women's suffrage came to be, which was changing the Constitution. She thought uh, the, the states themselves should just start doing it. You know, I guess it kind of reminds me a little bit of how gay marriage has evolved the past few years. Well, actually, it's the other way around. Uh, she was in favor and was fighting hard for federal change, whereas Lucy Stone and a bunch of other uh, important women in those ranks, uh, they were um, interested more in fighting it state by state, and that caused the split in the women's movement, which eventually got back together again, um, you know, years later, um, because you just can't afford that, you know, when you're fighting something that enormous, you have to bring all all together on one mm -hmm. side of the battle, so... Uh, but she, she, uh, for example, I think 37 years, if you can imagine that, uh, and not getting depressed, uh, from 1869 to 1906, every single year she spoke to the Congress uh, hmm. asking for a passage of the suffrage amendment. You're listening to The Historians. I'm Bob Cudmore, and our guest is Barb Blaisdell from Rochester, who for 24 years has been playing Susan B. Anthony. Uh, we have a few minutes left in the program. I thought it was time to ask Miss Anthony to uh, step forward. Is she there? Why, yes, it's quite good to speak with you, Mr. Cudmore. Well, we've been hearing about your remarkable life, and I suppose the one thing that kind of comes through is uh, women's suffrage was your main cause, but you were involved in many other human rights issues. Oh, yes. Uh, my family uh, was very involved in anti-slavery. And in fact, when I was a young woman and finally decided to stop teaching and come back home and get involved in more public issues, the first thing my father did was take me in a carriage and introduce me to the great Frederick Douglass. Uh, and um, almost every Sunday, uh, the Douglass family would come, or Mr. Douglass on his own, to my father's farm. And uh, we would um, visit and 
Mr. Douglas would often play his fiddle, um, which he was quite adept. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the main issue was plotting and figuring the next steps for both uh, anti-slavery, sometimes temperance, and eventually women's rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing I didn't ask your your friend who was talking about you, how was it you ended up in Rochester in particular? Well, uh, as you may know, my family uh, came from Adams, Massachusetts, and uh, my father was a cotton farmer. He would have no no business with... uh, slave owners, and uh, there was a a difficult uh, financial crash uh, at one point, and he lost almost everything, and to the point where my mother had to sell even her own inherited silverware, and ultimately we moved over the border into New York State, and then... uh, in my 20s, uh, we came up to Rochester partly using the Erie Canal. Mm. And uh, Rochester, of course, was booming as Rochesterville in those days. And uh, we uh, came to Rochester. My father opened another farm uh, in Rochester, uh, which at that time was very rural, but it's now the place where his farm was is now quite uh, in the middle of a bustling town. Mm-hmm. You, at uh, one point, um, I believe it, you'd call it engaged in s- civil disobedience, you uh, got arrested for voting? Ah, uh, yes. That was uh, quite a time. Uh, that was in 1872, and by then I was 52. And I had been working for decades at that point toward woman suffrage or the vote and other uh, rights. And I read in the newspaper that uh, the registration for voting was uh, being encouraged, and they kept speaking of all citizens. I knew perfectly well that they meant male, white, landowning citizens, but I was determined, uh, as usual, to do something about it. And so I gathered up my sisters and several other women from town, and we went down the street to what was then a barbershop and forced the poor registrars to let us register. And several weeks later, we went back and we voted. Hmm. And they were very nonplussed. They didn't really know what to do with that. So then we just waited to see what would happen. And a few weeks after that, a marshal arrived at my home and uh, announced in an embarrassed sort of way that he was there to take me uh, to jail, take me down to the courthouse. And uh, I had many things to say about that in terms of I was a citizen who paid my taxes, obeyed the laws, etc. And here he was 
claiming that I should be arrested for the act of citizenship, namely voting. I wouldn't pay the uh, fare on the trolley, Mm -hmm. but he did take me downtown, and uh, they charged me, and then they decided eventually to change the venue uh, to um, Canandaigua, New York, Mm. which at the time seemed farther away Mm. than it does for you all. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually the trial commenced, and women were not allowed to serve on the jury, and I was not allowed to speak as a woman at my own trial. And uh, eventually Judge Hunt took out a previously written decision, dismissed the jury, so though it had no peers of mine in the sense of women, even so, they had no choice about the verdict in any case because he announced, pronounced me guilty and fined me $100. And then he asked fatally if I had anything to say, and I did. And I, among other things, assured him that I would not be paying a single dollar of that unjust fine. And you did not? I did not. And so I stand before you today a proud felon. I see. Did they ever put you in jail? No, that never happened because uh, even though I refused to pay the the fee, uh, he was supposed to put me in jail until I paid, but he knew that's what I wanted because then I could appeal and bring the case to the next higher court. Hmm. But he never uh, jailed me for hmm. it, so I well, it, it, one kind left of sil- and remained a felon. <laughs> well, one silly thoughts occurred to me. If you had a time machine, Miss Anthony, you could have come into a point in your future and uh, picked up uh, 100 Susan B. Anthony dollars and paid the fine. <laughs> yes, I have learned on uh, during one of my many visits in spirit uh, because you know I'm uh, currently buried over at Mount Hope Cemetery in Rochester, right over the berm from my dear good friend and colleague, Mr. Douglas. And I learned upon one of my visits that in 1979, the good people of America see, saw fit to put my visage on a dollar coin. Hmm. And I think there's talk now about putting you on some paper money, but I'm not... You know, I should know more about that story before bringing it up. Yes, there are many good, strong uh, women who fought the good fight for democracy in a variety of ways that are being considered uh, for placement on one of the paper bills that you all are using these days. We're almost out of time. Um, what What is it that, that kept you going? Again, your, your, your friend uh, told us how you spoke every year to the Congress, I believe it was, and nothing happened, mm-hmm. nothing happened, nothing happened until you, uh, until long after you had passed. And, uh, I mean, what kept you going? Well, uh, just the idea that I knew that what I was fighting for was absolutely correct, that it was inevitable. Uh, women certainly had the right and the ability to Uh, take their equal place with the gentlemen of this wonderful country. 
and I knew that, of, of course, when I started out, I imagined that we would get this done. But as I became older and older, it became very clear to myself, Mrs. Stanton, many others, that we probably would not live to see it done, and we did not. But it was just the knowledge that this was inevitable because it was correct. It was right. It was the way things should be. So I knew that eventually that would happen, and that gave me sucker in the terrible, depressing days of endless battling for this right. Well, Susan B. Anthony and uh, her friend Barbara Blaisdell, I thank you for joining us. If you want some uh, information on Susan B. Anthony or to to hear about uh, uh, Barbara Blaisdell's uh, performance as Susan B. Anthony, you can contact, I'm sure, the National Susan B. Anthony House and Museum in Rochester, New York. You can find, uh, find that online, I'm quite sure. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. This is Bob Cudmore.